Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each week I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. So far in this podcast life, we've talked about snakes that are both poisonous and venomous, snakes that fly, and now we're going to add to that list and talk about some highly venomous snakes that live their lives in the ocean. Which really, for having 24 episodes and already be talking about another snake species, I didn't realize that uh, snakes were going to be such a frequent topic for the podcast, but hey, here we are. And there will be more. So this week, we are talking about sea snakes, which are one of my favorite groups of snakes. Sea snakes are really just snazzy little dudes. Well, not super little, but hey, eh, some of them. Sea snakes are in the elapid family of snakes, which include other venomous friends like cobras and mambas. Some of the rest of the taxonomy is a little bit funky, but sea snakes are then grouped into subfamilies Lactocodony and Hydrophony, with the sea crates in Lactocodony and the Orlatocodony, and the true sea snakes in Hydrophony. Different sources list different numbers of sea snake species. And by the end of this episode, I'm probably going to end up saying Snee Snake at some point in time. I've been so close already. (laughs) Um, Different sources list different numbers of sea snake species, so there are somewhere between 57 and 69 different species of sea snake. Some of this may depend on if people are including the sea crates in their numbers. For what makes a sea snake a true sea snake, The true sea snakes live their entire lives in the ocean and will have live birth in the ocean. They don't lay eggs. Sea crates are considered to be a more primitive form of the sea snakes and still have the ability to go on land and will lay their eggs on land, where other sea snakes are often actually incapable of moving around on land um, efficiently if they can move on land at all. So again, as with some of our other snakes, if you are afraid of snakes, And this is all starting to sound a little bit alarming, and you're starting to use this as another example of why the ocean is scary. If you live around the Atlantic Ocean, no need to fear. There are no species of sea snake in the Atlantic Ocean. All of them live in the tropical waters of the Indian and Pacific Ocean. Occasionally, very occasionally, a yellow-bellied sea snake can be spotted in the Atlantic coast of South Africa, I remember at one point in time reading about a sighting or two, but for the most part, the cold water currents off of western South Africa keep them comfortably confined to the Pacific and Indian Oceans. When the western extent of their range, they can be found along the east coast of Africa, and then along to the coast of northern New Zealand to the south, then around Japan and the Asian coast, and then the eastern part of their range can go to the west coast of the Americas, with the Gulf of California being the northernmost extent in Latin America or in the Americas, and all the way down to Peru. So hearing this, um, you may be wondering about the Panama Canal. This does connect the Pacific Ocean with the Caribbean, but so far sea snakes have not been observed traveling over to the Caribbean through the Panama Canal. We think this has to do with salinity, and the salinity may just be too low through the canal for the sea snakes to travel over. The ability to swim in snakes is not unusual. Many species of snakes are actually capable of swimming. 
In the United States, there are several species of water snake, some venomous, some not, that spend their time in and around bodies of water. We also have garter snakes that sometimes go for a swim, and actually, I think a couple times on a kayaking trip, I've seen garter snakes traveling across a little river. In the Amazon rainforest, the anaconda will also swim there to get from place to place and occasionally hide from prey, and here the ability to swim is going to be advantageous when the Amazon River floods and um, you have to travel through flooded forests. So sea snakes have particular adaptations for life in the water, since many of them spend their entire lives in the water. One of the big ones and most noticeable ones is their paddle-shaped tail. The end of their tail is flattened to act like a paddle and actually looks much like a paddle you would use with a kayak or a canoe. This helps for efficient forward motion within the water and acts as a rudder. Now what makes many sea snakes unable to travel on land is their reduced ventral scales, which are the scales along their belly. Since many sea snakes live their lives at sea, they don't really need the ventral scales, so since they're typically used for crawling on land or to assist with climbing trees. Sea crates, on the other hand, do still have normal ventral scales since they do spend some time on land. Then to help minimize water resistance, sea snakes' heads have become smaller and more flattened. And then, of course, since sea snakes live in the ocean, they do need to be able to deal with the excess salt in their system in some way, shape, or form. You can't live in the ocean in a salty environment and not have some way to deal with the salt. Sea snakes have salt glands under their tongue that secrete the excess salt. When they flick their tongues, the excess salt is also flicked away. To help with their oxygen, while sea snakes do breathe air and do surface to breathe, they are actually capable of absorbing some oxygen through their skin and can absorb anywhere from 25 to 30 percent of their oxygen requirement through their skin. Most sea snakes need to surface every 30 minutes or so in order to breathe, but the ability to absorb oxygen through their skin has allowed them to be able to sit, stay submerged for hours during dives, sometimes up to eight hours at a time, which will be super helpful for these snake species that are able to dive down to 800 feet. Many sea snakes feed on small fish, maybe occasionally a young octopus, and some species do specialize and eat things like fish eggs and only fish eggs. To help with catching a fast and slippery prey, many sea snakes have developed extremely toxic venom, which has landed five species of sea snake a spot on a list of 21 of the most venomous snakes in the world with the hook-nosed snake um, considered to be one of the most venomous snakes in the world. The true number of sea snake bites is not known because many snee- me <sighs> there I go. Many snee snake or sea snake bites happen in small fishing villages. So therefore, different sources do say different snake species are responsible for more of the bite deaths, with some sources saying it's the beaked sea snake or the hook-nosed sea snake, and others saying it's the spine-bellied sea snake. The spine-bellied sea snake is very frequently encountered throughout its range, since it's a very common snake and has a very expansive distribution, so this one may very likely be one of the, um, or the sea snake most responsible for many of the bites and deaths. Um, but the hook-nosed sea snake 
is one of the most venomous snakes, so it's also a good contender for the greatest number of deaths. Fortunately though, many sea snakes are not aggressive and often only bite defensively. So what does make that a little unfortunate, or quite unfortunate, is that fishermen therefore tend to be the most likely people to be bit since they are often removing sea snakes from their nets. Sea snakes also don't always inject venom when they bite. If you're biting defensively, you generally don't want to waste the energy it took to make that venom if you're not going to end up eating what you just bit. However, sea snake venom is extremely toxic. Sea snake venom is four to eight more times deadly than that of a king cobra, and one drop of venom from a beaked sea snake is capable of killing eight humans. All it takes is one and a half milligrams of venom to kill a human, and the beaked sea snake can deliver up to nine milligrams of venom in a bite. Sea snake venom are actually considered to be fairly simple venoms since they really only have a couple of different venoms and a couple of different protein types, and mostly just have neurotoxins and myotoxins in the form of three-finger neurotoxins and phospholipase A2. So they have toxins that affect the nervous system and muscles. More specifically, or at least more targetedly, the skeletal muscles, so those connecting your skeleton that are unfortunately mostly there to help you move. If somebody is bit and envenomed by a sea snake, it could be some time before they actually start to have symptoms. Symptoms can set in anywhere from 30 minutes to a few hours after the bite and may initially include things like headaches, achiness, and muscle tenderness. The initial muscle tenderness and achiness is actually a sign, though, that the myotoxins are at work, breaking down the muscle tissue. Over time, the neurotoxins can lead to paralysis by inhibiting neural impulses. If the respiratory muscles are some of the muscles becoming paralyzed, that's where we get death if there is no medical intervention, because it is pretty darn hard to breathe if your diaphragm and the muscles around your rib cage are not able to move. Now again, envenomation doesn't always occur and actually does not it's not even frequent occurrence, but since the venom is deadly, once you know you are bit, definitely get yourself to a hospital. Don't wait it out. Thank you for listening to today's episode and be sure to tune in to the next episode in a couple of weeks. Please rate and review on iTunes. That is one of the best ways to get new people to listen to the podcast and spread it around. And you can also find the podcast on Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. There are several ways, additional ways, to help support this podcast. You can share us with someone you know that could use some more animal facts in their life. Apparently, especially if you have any snake lovers in your friend group, there will be more snake episodes in the foreseeable future. You can also become a patron on Patreon. You can find the link for that in the description below. And the Patreon people will get things like bonus episodes. And as the weather starts to warm up and the days continue to get longer, there will eventually be some tide pooling adventures that the Patreon people will get to witness and somewhat be a part of. So you can find the link for that in the description. You can find the podcast on Instagram, so give that a follow at QuirkyCreepyFreakyPod. And if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, 
send it on in at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com. Audio editing and recording is done by me, Olivia Streit. Intro music created by Kaylee Streit. Thank you for listening.